welcome to the Post-Acute Point of View podcast, our discussion hub for healthcare technology in the out-of-hospital space. Here, we talk about the latest news and views on trends and innovations that can impact the way post-acute care providers work. We'll also dive into how technology can make a difference in today's changing healthcare landscape for home and facility-based workers and the people they care for. Let's dive in. My name is Patricia Toledo, and I'm the head of product management for Matrix Care. And today we are here to discuss how prioritizing mental health reduces turnover and leads to better outcomes for long-term care. I'm here with a special guest, Trina Cleo. Hi, Trina. So Trina is the CEO of Given Hour. Funded in 2005, Given Hour is a nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming mental health by building strong and healthy individuals and communities. We are very honored to have you today, Trina. So a little bit introduction about myself. I have over 25 years of experience in the intersection of strategy, technology, and innovation, working in different countries and sectors such as education technology, financial services, and healthcare technology. I joined Matrix Care about five months ago to support leading our digital transformation. With that being said, I would like to invite you, Trina, to introduce yourself and for us to start our discussion. Thank you so much, Patricia. I am Trina Clayu. I am CEO of Given Hour, and I am heading into my third year in this role of really looking at how we transform mental health care across the United States. Amazing. Thank you. I'm very excited for this conversation. So Trina, let's begin by having you tell our audience your story, early career. What led you to this current position? Absolutely. Actually, and it's so timely to have this conversation. My entire career has really been population-focused work. A lot of it has been related to workforce education and workforce development. And so I have this just innate desire to really help promote workforce development and making sure that people have great fits in their careers, in their jobs and careers, and transforming the workforce and the workplace. So people really, you know, we spend the majority of our time at work. And so making it a place where people feel like healthy and happy and can be really productive. Prior to this role, it's always focused on these interconnected pillars about empowerment, social stability, poverty alleviation, holistic well-being, inclusivity, and it all really came together into this job. A lot of things that I did previously, I was a chief operating officer in work that had to do with affordable housing, work that had to do with quality and parity in education for populations that are a little bit at, at the margins. As I worked with these populations, I really saw that the underpinning of workforce and education and workplace satisfaction is really centered in mental health and, and well-being. And it was also one of the most kind of un- misunderstood and neglected foundations in all of these areas. And so I became very, very interested in what does it look like to bring really customized mental health to populations that aren't accessing it or can't access it easily. And that really started this journey with Given Hour. 
Oh, wow. How inspiring. We are so lucky for having you here today. I believe our audience will have a lot of it to learn from you. So as the CEO of a given hour, what motivated you to lead the organization dedicated to transforming mental health and build a strong community on top of what we already shared with you? I feel very hopeful and optimistic that we can change the way in which mental health is experienced for anyone across the country. There's a systems challenges, there's perception challenges, there's stigma, there's access, and there's so much, and especially post-pandemic, so during the pandemic and post-pandemic, there's just a lot of noise out there about mental health and understanding what mental health is and, and how can you approach it and how can it become accessible to anyone. And so... I like to think of it now as mental health is a team sport. We all have a role to play and each of us have the opportunity to participate in really changing the way that we think and experience mental health. I think that, you know, when we look at some of the things that we're able to do, addressing barriers to mental health, which can be access, as you, as you well know, we have a tremendous shortage of licensed professional mental health providers and even accessing care when you have great insurance is challenging, let alone if you don't have great insurance or you don't have other forms of access, there's financial access, even with, you know, great insurance co-pays. I mean, it becomes very, very expensive if you can. There's cultural stigma attached to mental health. Many communities haven't had great experiences with mental health or they experience it differently than is traditionally trained for. And then just talking about the workforce, we're going to have a, a real interesting time of generational approach when you have multi-generations in the workforce like we do now, but we also have new generations who are coming in who have different experiences and expectations that they're going to bring into the workplace. It's really the bedrock of where it's there's a lot of stress and there can be a lot of opportunity to reduce that stress. So you have workers who come to work, who feel productive, who feel valued, who feel like they're experiencing support within the workplace. And at the end of the day, that's better results for, you know, in this case, residential care, where you have individuals that you are entrusting to provide really high quality care. I feel like we're in a in a great place. And I also feel like it's there's some saturation in it right now where people are a little bit exhausted with these high level discourse. And what we're hoping to do at Given Hour is really bring it down into something consumable that matters to you day to day. I like that a lot. Yeah, we know that the lack of knowledge increases, leads to, to stigma, right? And uh, I, I I like that you, you said about stigma, and stigma is a big word, and this is going to lead us to our next topic here, because in the context of senior care and long-term care, how do you believe addressing mental health, including with this caveat? of stigma in the middle of the subject, how addressing mental health can contribute to reducing turnover among staff members. We know that as you, you touch uh, the subject, we know that by 2030, 100% of all baby boomers will be over 65 years old, right? 21% of the US population will be in retirement age. We also know today we have a shortage of staff and uh, with the aging caregivers and also the aging population, the shortage of staff will be greater. So how can 
mental health can contribute with this equation, reducing turnover among staff members? I know in the work that we've done, the research that we've looked at, the ecosystems we are in, this is really the top, the top topic is about workforce shortages, quality of care, and just not enough people. And what do we do? And so, you know, our approach is always the help the helpers. We start with the people who are at the direct service level first. And that really involves that direct service all the way up to their supervisor. And this is such a critical area of focus. To back up a little bit, when we look at the, at the research, we're really seeing a huge perception gap between what employers think is happening in terms of mental health and what employees are experiencing in terms of mental health. And, you know, just one example would be there's stats anywhere between 25 and 67 percent of individuals are looking, actively looking for other work and would leave. One stat I saw was like 63 percent people would just walk off a job with no job to even go to. Where employers are saying, we think that number is more like 5 to 20 percent of our workforce is looking for other jobs. And so right there, you're just seeing like we're navigating two different conversations And so the top reasons that people are leaving work is low compensation, which I think is the one out of all of them that, you know, it's, it's challenging to control for, but the other ones are so underpinned by the mental health aspects of it, which is a toxic workplace, job negativity, feeling undervalued at work, and then no clear path for career development. And when you really look at, wow, if we could get that gap, perception gap closer together where we're having a different conversation about what does mental health look like that underpins toxic workplace job negativity, like understanding what is happening. And when you are a direct service individual, there's a tremendous amount of stress. Like every layer of, of, of work has stress. But it is a very, these are the folks who are touching your customers. These are the folks who are that front line. And so underpinning really good mental health practices, which includes that supervisor and all the research that I've looked at has said that that's your pain point right there is your, your supervisor. They could be a great human being. They could be a wonderful leader, but if they don't know how to interact and engage in mental health support that touches someone else, that that feels very genuine and feels informed, that you're going to continue to have these huge disconnects. And that does lead to lack of job satisfaction and people leaving the profession or going and finding another place to work at. And at the end of the day, it harms the quality of care for residents. Oh, this point is very important. I believe that the supervising this sense can be an agent of transformation, right? And uh, we believe that uh, we can train the trainer and then scale impact. So I I, I love what you said. And Trina, how does Give an Hour collaborate with organizations or even large companies across the U.S. to integrate mental health support into their existing systems and processes? Can you provide examples of successful partnership or initiative Give an Hour had or had? And I would love to learn more about that. Absolutely. You know, one of, I think the, well, there's a couple of approaches that our model has. One is we're very human centered. And so we're not trying to take off the shelf products and bring them into an organization and say, here, here's your mental health work. But rather, we know great practices, evidence-based practices, tools that can work. 
But what we really want to understand is how it's operating in your organization. And so if you look at residential care across the country, not every or, you know, there's going to be similarities, but there's there's the differences is where a lot of the, the friction or the tension exists. And that's where we want to understand. So we do spend a lot of time with organizations really trying to understand your culture. How are you approaching mental health? What does leadership support look like? What type of priority is this? And how do you integrate it in a way that it's not separate? You're not having a separate conversation about mental health and a separate conversation about DEI and a separate conversation about another, you know, challenges at work, but rather how do you incorporate these really great practices in your day-to-day. And so it becomes part of your culture. We've worked with medical workers, you know, during the pandemic was a great example. We did a hospital heroes program. So it was really trying to understand like what kind of support were people looking for? And, And in that case, it was, they needed to talk to other people who were going through what they were going through. And that, so it's not always just looking like, how do I get a therapist? A lot of times we're looking at what is happening organically, and then where are the gaps? And then how can we really weave together a community of support that can last and is durable and can stay in an organization as part of the culture? But you have to have somebody there who's really championing it and you know, an organization like ours where we can weave it together and really pour into it so it becomes something really reciprocal. And that becomes like a more of a peer support model. And there's lots of opportunities with EAP and other programs that organizations bring in. And there's often a disconnect. And so we actually help teach people how to navigate care. The employers may be doing an incredible amount of things that the employee either doesn't know or understand. And so the more that we can make that visible, but it really takes getting to know people, getting to understand these day-to-day stressors, and then helping them with tools to navigate mental health. Mental health isn't about being happy and uplift all the time. It's really about managing the challenges so that you have the quality of life that you're looking for. And then we build these really incredible toolkits. And I know toolkit is kind of an overused word, but it's really to move people from mental health friendly to mental health informed and how it is it look and feel in your organization. And it goes back to, as, as you uh, took note of, is how do you help that supervisor really understand what skills and tools they already have? And then how do you fill in some of the gaps of some of the things that that person may be experiencing, but doesn't know how to manage that, especially from a performance standpoint with another individual. So you're doing that kind of art and science of like, what does it mean to be a great human? And what are some really great mental health practices that you can put in place and really coach people up on? Oh, thank you, Trina. So building on what we just shared with us, we are in a journey of putting care back in the hands of caregivers. We are obsessed to free the hands of caregivers so they have more time to care and time to care more people, right? And in your experience, how does mental well-being of staff members impact the quality of care provided in healthcare settings. How does given our work to ensure mental health support translates in better outcome, in better care? Can you share a little bit about that with us? Absolutely. We take a person uh, first approach and we do that in our data collection. We do that in our uh, modeling. We do that in all the assessment work that we do up front. And, you know, a little bit of what I said before, which is like, you really have to try to understand what people are experiencing, what they have in their, you know, little toolkit now, and then where is that gap and what 
what can you bring to the table that fits people's lifestyles too. And I think that's so important is like, we really try to figure out what is consumable. So as an example, if, you know, somebody is a single parent and they're working a shift that doesn't coincide with their kids. And there's a lot of stress about, you know, being home when your child's home. And what we're looking at is like, where do you bridge the gap? So maybe it's like looking at how do you build community care plan? Like who are your people? Who's your community who can help with certain things? And once you start mapping that out, it's a really easy exercise, this little concentric circle of like, who can you call to let out the dog? Who can who could be put on to pick up your child from daycare if there's a time when you can't get away from work? And then as you build that out, you start to see not just what you have, but what you don't have. And then we can help kind of coach you through like, how do you find those folks? How do you ask for help? Which is very hard for so many people. But what it does is it starts building more margins in your life and more capacity for you to really breathe and take some more time for yourself. And so that's where the interventions get really granular and really specific. And so while there's general good practices in mental health care, we also like to help people like really help how it identifies and shows up in your life. And when you're able to do that, people will provide better services. They, you know, we all get into professions because we have a passion for whomever and whatever that that we're getting into. But if you don't have anything left in your cup, you can't pour into someone else. And so what we see across the board is as people are more invested in, in the workplace, they are more invested in the outcomes of not just the direct care that they do, but the organizational success. And that's where you get it to a point where it's operating outside of, of just this interaction between that person and their supervisor, that person and their peers, or that person and the, their customers or clients. But now they're invested in this organization's success. And that's really where you get the best out of people. I love that. And uh, it's so important to understand it you know, the power of our support system and also, right, make sure we know what we don't have because normally we let this go and, you know, people, we are human beings and we prioritize most of the time career. And so I, very important, this message. I hope our audience really implemented this, you know, around themselves. And, uh, Moving forward in this conversation, how do you see the perception and the prioritization of mental health in senior care involving the coming years? Uh, what role does given hour into playing driving this change? Right, we spoke about the, the population's aging, but caregivers are aging. So, how uh, given hour can support driving this change? Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's kind of the macro micro level. I mean, the macro level is, you know, we are really wanting to be part of these larger discourse about mental health. And some of that was the white noise I was saying before, which is how do you break through so much conversation about mental health, but I'm not sure that we're all saying the same thing or we're all experiencing the same thing. And so, you know, if you, if you get down to kind of just the fundamentals is, is acknowledging that we all have mental health. And it shows up in different ways. And some people need more support than others. And so it's really identifying like, what is the support that someone needs? And then how can you help people access that support? 
And then for us, looking from an organizational standpoint is how can you invest in mental health support that people actually want and need? And I think that becomes the part is like, if we're investing so much money into mental health in the organization, but people aren't using it, and we're literally seeing that, that people are not using what is available. I think that's a great time to go back and assess what's happening. And so part of our work is to do those assessments, is to talk to people and to find out what is actually happening and and what do people want, need, and then what would it take to get those resources in place? You know, looking at burnout, burnout is preventable. And I think we have to address that to take a really positive approach to it which is there are many things that as an organization and as people that we can do. And so the more that we go down into that, you know, having this larger conversation to really change how we talk and how we experience mental health at work, and then getting down into groups of people and what can you do to support. And then I think there's there's that really granular thing, which is what does this individual need in order for them to be fully invested in the organization and the work that they do. And I think once you start really digging into it, you find out it's not that overwhelming. It's not that complicated. I mean, it's complicated, but we're naming it too large. And I think that's where the complication, it feels like it's very nebulous and it moves a lot and it kind of transforms, it shapeshifts a little bit. And I think that's where we're trying to say is like, what can we stabilize? And then what do you actually need? And the idea at the end of the day is that given our, we want to come in and be able to support and stand up something that's durable, that can last and is owned by the organization and the employees within it, and then back away and then be able to be there as more of a support as things come up or as come in and lean in in particular areas, but that it has to be built by the community for the community. And I feel like that's really our skill set. Incredible, the power of a community. Like we say, takes a village is literally what it is, right? Trina, we know senior care, long-term care, can be a challenge and demand career, right? It is a challenging profession, especially after COVID. What measures does Given Hour take to promote healthy care and prevent burnout? You mentioned burnout, right? So what measures does Given Hour take to promote self-care and prevent burnout among staff members in these settings? Yeah, part of it is, is getting a real handle on where are people currently and you know, I think slot mapping, like we're talking direct service level right now, where do people put, place themselves on kind of a burnout scale of like fully engaged, happy, confident, feeling supported, all the way into feeling exhausted and not wanting to come to work and not functioning at their highest self. And so having that visual of where everyone is at really does help you decide, again, where to place the resources, what types of resources, who would benefit, and then asking people, actually, how do you want to be supported in this? We can help move people down a scale of emotional exhaustion, but it's going to take an organizational commitment. And that does start with that supervisor. Some of it can be educating the people around you to become better peer supporters. You know, I can support you as a colleague. It was like 70 some percent of people will go to a colleague to talk about mental health. Well, we need to help educate people who you work with to make sure you know how to support people, ask the right questions and help them get the kind of help that they need. Burnout is a specific type of stress and it's related to work. And so mental health will encompass their overall you know, emotional and psychological well-being. And these are individuals going to be at a higher risk of mental health issues that are going to affect them at home and at work. And so we have to be able to work as a team 
trying to improve those work-related conditions and help people manage stress. So it's a two-way street and it's multi-directional every time. It's not just helping support the employee and then helping support the employer, but it's helping to support the dynamic between the employer and the employer. And there's lots of ways of addressing it. And so part of it is understanding what the parameters are within the organization. I mean, when you're doing direct care work, that's a 24-7 operation. And so you can't necessarily shorten someone's hours because that impacts the operation. But what else could we look at? And maybe there's a job share where you have a period of time where you have two people working a split shift. You can look at collaborating with other individuals to having a peer support group within there that you have somebody to talk to. So at the 15 minutes of every shift is early and people can talk and have a chance to decompress and and have someone else like, no, I totally understand that resident is really challenging. So now I'm ready for it. So now I know what's going on. There's certain things that can be put in place that, again, are going to be cost effective or it's going to be the right level of investment. So maybe you have to pay people for that 15 minutes of overlap. But if that is something that they actually want and need, and it's going to improve quality of care because that individual feels heard and feels valued, and now they're ready to go into their eight-hour shift full of excitement and empathy and wanting to work with each other, then that's going to be a really great investment into your employees. It's a comprehensive approach, but I think until you really start working down into actual people and conversations, you're going to stay so high that a lot of the resources that you're putting towards mental health are not going to land. They're not going to land for the people there. And that's when I think our audience would like to learn more about, are there any specific training or education opportunities provided by Given Hour focus on equipping care staff with the necessary skills and knowledge, right? We said about knowledge, stigma, and knowledge to address mental health challenges effectively. I heard a little bit about that, and I would love you to share this with our audience. Yes, I can start with the free resources that we have. We keep a lot of resources on our pages. And like I said before, we really try to make them consumable. So it's a lot of like micro learning where you can just look at those resources and say, yeah, you know, this is something that I can integrate into my life. The other thing that we have is wellness ambassadors. And so you can become a given our wellness ambassador. So we have an area on our landing page where you can sign up and then we actually will provide more information. So you can feel more confident at your place of worship or your workplace or in your home about really investing and learning more about mental health, what it is, what it isn't, and what your role is to play in that. And we would love to add more wellness ambassadors. This is a capacity building strategy for sure. The more we talk about it, the more we destigmatize it, and the more that people are more apt to get the kind of help that they want and need. We also train mental health providers, so licensed providers. We have a network of about 4,000 mental health providers that we pour into, and we ask them to also do clinical care for certain populations that we work with. And we provide the continued education credits, but we do it on topics that they care about. That's a place of your mental health provider and you want to join the network. You have access to our trainings, many, many trainings and a peer network there because we know that those providers, just like frontline individuals need additional support. And they were asking for more opportunities to talk to other people like them and really trouble through some of the stress and pressures that they're feeling, especially through and post COVID. And then we do customized training for businesses. And so I think that's what we talked about today is how do you 
work within your organization to really understand what's happening and what really could be implemented and could be trained to and that can become part of the culture and how will that improve the overall organizational effectiveness and quality of care and reduce all the things that we don't want, right? Reduce attrition, reduce burnout, and increase people's excitement when they come to work. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want a happy, healthy, productive workplace. And I really believe at the end of the day, when you get real specific, it's going to be some minor upskilling, minor interventions. It's not so nebulous because so many organizations are doing incredible work and it's really just tightening up where those gaps are, identifying them and filling them and really building it into how do you want this to operate and then how do people want to receive it? It's an exciting time to be in mental health for sure and to integrate it into addressing some of these workforce issues and challenges that we're having across industries and certainly in residential care. Oh, excellent. Trina, just to close this topic, what advice would you give to long-term care providers that are interested in prioritizing mental health, well-being, right? Supporting their staff members, but they're unsure of where to begin. Well, I think the biggest one is, is really understanding how this falls as a priority for your organization and what the priority is tied to. And it could be multiple things that's tied to. You want to reduce attrition. You want to increase people's happiness. You want to increase recruitment, retention, quality of care. But getting specific about what it is you're trying to address, I think will help a lot. But it does have to come from the top. It has to be a priority. And again, if it's a set-aside priority outside the normal operation of an organization, it's going to be very, very challenging because as soon as it's not a priority, it will be fade away. And so that's why we're really looking at how do you underpin everything that you do with really good mental health practices. I think the other thing is that there has to be a real recognition and conversation about how the past three to four years changed workers at their core and that they are almost like our DNA has changed. And we have to recognize they are not looking to go back to pre-COVID, pre-COVID anything. And I think that becomes really understanding that the fundamental workplace has changed and the workers have changed. And what does that mean? And how do we optimize that as employers and work together? And then I think really at the end of the day is, is really the content of physical and mental well-being and how those things are joined together. It will also help with destigmatizing people, you know, are more comfortable talking about physical well-being in many ways. But the more that we can take this as a holistic approach, the more consumable it will be, and especially putting in context of work and life. And these are great skills at any point in your life. And they're not over here. They are actually in how you, our tagline is mental health for life. And I really believe that it's for the longevity of you, but it's also in navigating life and career and work-life balance is a big part of that. So those would be my top three. I like that a lot. I remember uh, someone told me one day, we should allow people and give out the tools they need so they can thrive. And in our industry, thrive being 
provide the best care as possible. So I love everything you said. We learn a lot. I think it's very important to learn how to prioritize mental health at this moment of our industry, right? To reduce turnover, burnout. And by the end of the day, it's just it's be human-centric, user-centric, resident or patient-centric. When we pay attention the behavior, the need, we see opportunities. So Trina, thank you very much for this conversation. I learned a lot from all the strategy, the, the initiatives, the tactics you share with us. I believe that reducing burnout and reducing turnover, the bottom line is how can we support our staff to be better, to thrive in our environment, right? So thank you very much for your participation, for this conversation. I hope to see you soon. And if you'd like to leave a message to our audience, they would love to listen now. Yes, yes. And thank you so much for the timing of this conversation and the importance of it. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And we all have the ability to change the way that we engage in mental health and that we talk about it. And so I just invite anyone who wants to be part of those conversations to contact us and we'd be thrilled to, to help walk you through that. So thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. And I hope to see you soon in our next conversation. Have a great day. That concludes the latest episode of the Post-Acute Point of View podcast. We have a lot of guests and topics coming up that you won't want to miss, so be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Matrix Care and our solutions and services, visit matrixcare.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next time.